Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by a guest speaker who visited our Kubalup campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Good morning. It is my pleasure and privilege to be able to speak to you this morning. And I've got two parts in what I'm going to be saying to you. The first part is about compassion. I work for compassion, and I want to tell you just a little bit about what's happening in the compassion world. First of all, we're doing a new project, and it's called the Church to Church Project. What this means is that we have churches in a particular region. In your case, it's churches in Melville, Coburn, and Fremantle. And the churches in this area are linking up with churches in the developing world. In, in our case, it's in Thailand, but more specifically, in the region bordering Myanmar. So it's mostly the Karen people just on that border. And we're linking up the churches. There are over 20 churches in this area that's saying, let's be part of this. We're offering pastors a trip to Thailand to see the work in this specific area in February. And then the following year, all the people that are interested in going to see the work of Compassion, they can come along and see that. So this is part of the Church to Church project. And I'm hoping it will grow beyond that, but that's just the start of it. That's a a map of Thailand, and you can see the stats there yourself. I'm not going to read that to you, but you can see that when you compare that with most developing countries, it doesn't actually look too bad, because infant mortality rate is 9 out of 1,000. It's not too bad. Male life expectancy, just under 72 years old, not too bad. Females, a lot more than that. That's, that's pretty normal. And it, it's just not... 7, um, 7.2% below the poverty line, that's not horrendous when you compare that to most developing countries. But if you looked at the Karen people, those people living on the border between Burma and Myanmar, sometimes one side, sometimes the other, the statistics would be much, much worse for them. So that's why we're focusing on them particularly. People ask me, well, what's special about compassion? And I have to say, there are three distinctives with compassion. It's Christ-centered. Everything about compassion is centered on Jesus. Pure and simply on Jesus. And because of that, when people, when children go to the Compassion Project, which is at a local church, they get to hear the gospel. And it's great that it's child-focused so that they get fed when they go there. They get help with school fees. They get school supplies. They get dental care. They get all the basics they need in life to lift them out of poverty. But if they didn't hear about Jesus... What about their eternal future? And I think it's great that they get all the basics, but without Jesus, I think, well, it doesn't really answer the situation. All the compassion projects are run through the local church, and that's another reason I love the work of compassion. For people who like statistics, compassion is a network of 12 partner countries, funding countries, Australia being one of them, America being one, Britain being another, and a bunch of others, linking up with 25 developing countries. Thailand is one, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, 25 across the world. And it's all done through the local church in the developing country. 6,900 approximately 
churches in developing countries who Compassion links with and says, we will help you, we will support you, we'll partner with you. You find the poorest of the poor. You go out and find those people. We don't know who they are, but you do because you're there, you live it. You go and find them and then we'll help find sponsors for you. And throughout those programs in those 25 developing countries, around 2 million children in the program. Two million. (laughs) What I love most about that is, because it's all Christian, it's all done through the local church, around 400 children every single day make first-time commitments to Jesus. Every day. Can you imagine that? This church, chock-a-block with people, giving their lives to Jesus every single day. That excites me. If that doesn't excite you, I think your excitement is broken. You have an opportunity this morning to sponsor a child from that specific region in Thailand, the border of Myanmar and Thailand. $48 a month, tax deductible. And I'd really encourage you, if you can, just to consider it. Even if you've already got a sponsored child, if you've got room in your heart for another one, like this little, little, little one here, called Miwadi. First, be called Miwa. He's been waiting more than 200 days for a sponsor. And you can just look at her, sorry, look at her and see. She's doing it tough. The family's doing it tough. Just look at that photo and see. And there are children just waiting for somebody like you to have compassion on them. But I'm not saying just sponsor a child and pay you $48 a month. And that's the end of it. And I'm not saying that at all, because it's more than that. We would really like you to have a relationship with that child, to write to them, to pray for them, to encourage them, and maybe even go and visit them when you get the opportunity. It's about spiritually adopting that child. It's not just paying your money and forgetting about it, because the relationships is more important. I've been and spoken to so many children, and they all say... The best part of it is the letters I get, the encouragement I get. That's what they love the most. The rest of the program is great, but that's better. So even if you sponsor a child now and you're not writing, please do it. It makes, makes a world of difference. You have the opportunity to transform a life with that. Moving to the message now, and the message is titled The Father Heart of God. Let's just pray before we do. Father, we come here to acknowledge that you are our Father and our God. That there is nothing that you don't know, that you don't understand, or there's nothing that surprises you, Lord. And yet you still love us as we are. Father, help us to to know more about you this morning to understand better just how much you love us. Please speak to us by your Spirit, Lord. Thank you, Father. But a, a couple of Bible verses. The first one is Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness loving kindness in some translations 
from Jeremiah. And then Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but rejoice over you with singing. Can you imagine the God of the universe rejoicing over you with singing? Got three points this morning to talk to you about. First point, God loves you so much. So much. He's passionate about you. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 1 John 3, 1. God is love. He doesn't just love you. He is love. God the Father knows everything about you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He had you in mind before he created the world. You are his child. He's your father. He loves you with an everlasting love. Those verses that I I just spoke to you are from the Bible. And there's a love letter here. A father's love letter. And it captures those verses and many, many others and just summarize them. So if you don't know, if you don't know beyond any words just how much God loves you and you want to be reminded of that, maybe on a regular basis, and you want to read this, please come and see us afterwards and get a copy of this. You're welcome to have a copy. I've got lots of copies of that. And you can just take it with you and read those verses to remind you if you just don't know how much God loves you and there's so much to know about God's love. If God had a wallet or a smartphone, he'd pull it out and say, have you seen my beautiful son, Nick, or Wayne, or David? Insert your name there. Or my beautiful wife, my beautiful daughter, Sorry, not wife. Daughter. I was looking at my wife at the time. The beautiful daughter, Jenny, or or Robin, or Wendy. Put your name in there, because that's what God does. He puts your name in there. Just like any opportunity we get, we say, have you seen our beautiful grandson, Marley, or our beautiful granddaughter, Naya? With every opportunity, we'll pull out our smartphone and show photos of our grandchildren. Because we love them so much. And we just delight in them. And we love showing people photos of them. Now, when we connect our Heavenly Father with our Earthly Father, as we may do sometimes, there's two problems with that. One is, we may have an Earthly Father who's distant, who really didn't know us very well, didn't want to know us, couldn't know us, and was remote. And we think, well, if that's what our Heavenly Father's like, what, how, how good is that? How can he love us? If that's not what our Heavenly Father's like. Well, we might have had an earthly father who was a good guy. He, he did care for us. He did love us in his way. But... We could see his flaws all too clearly. We could see those things that, that we saw in his character and we thought, well, you know what, I don't want to be like that. But God isn't like that. 
It says in Matthew 7, verse 11, I offer you more than your earthly father ever could. And then in Matthew 5, verse 48, For I am the perfect father. We can't compare our earthly father with our heavenly father. It doesn't match up. God is a perfect father. Have you read his love letter to you? Have you read the Bible? Because that's God's love letter to you. I encourage you to look at that and read it and take it in. One day I was listening, hearing the words of the song Oceans by Hillsong. I don't know if you know that one, but these are the words. And I was praying, praying about them. So I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. For I am yours and you are mine. I am yours and you are mine. And that's what God says to us. I'm yours and you are mine. God of the universe comes into us as we give ourselves to him. How unfair is that? What an unfair exchange. God, who is not bounded by time, by space, by wisdom, by knowledge. He's not bounded by anything. And he offers himself to us. And in return, we give ourselves to him. If we give ourselves completely, then it's a fair exchange. Otherwise, how could it be a fair exchange? Even though we're sinful, even though we mess up, if we give ourselves completely, then it's almost a fair exchange, I would say. Perhaps not quite fair. Because of God's Father's heart, he longs to renew and restore us through the healing power of his love. God says to us, I love you for who you are, not for what you do. I love you for who you are. Can we say that to God? Can we say to him, I love you for who you are, not for what you do to me. So enough of our gorgeous grandies and my shameless putting them up there. Our second point is, what breaks the Father's heart? This is not a comprehensive list. I don't think I've covered everything. What breaks the Father's heart? God is a God of relationship. And it breaks his heart when we have a broken relationship. Many years ago, it was a Sunday just like this Sunday, I was driving along to my parents' place to have Sunday lunch. My wife in the passenger seat, two sons in the back, age four and one. And my wife turns to me completely out of the blue and says, I don't want to be married to you anymore. What? Is that a joke? Are you kidding? And she said, no, I don't want to be married to you anymore. I said, can we talk about this? And No, that, that's it. 
And in two weeks' time, she'd moved out with my beautiful sons. And that broke my heart. It broke my heart. It also brought me to my knees. I can imagine how much, to some extent, how much it breaks God's heart when he sees broken relationship like that. Because I've experienced it. I know what it's like. When we're out of relationship with him, I can imagine how much it breaks his heart. God is a God of forgiveness. And he hates it. He detests it when we don't forgive. When we hold on to something and and don't let it go. We can witness just how much what great lengths he'll go to to forgive us as we look at the cross. What a God would do that, give his only son so that we could become free. Can you imagine giving up your child or your grandchild to free somebody else? I can't. I can't imagine that. But God did, because he knew that was the only way that we could get back into relationship with him. And we might know very well the parable of the wicked servant. It's in Matthew 18. And this servant, he owed a stack load of money. It's calculated that it's something like 30 years' worth of wages he owed his master. He couldn't pay it back. And so his master called him and he said, I can't pay it back. Please have mercy on me. And his master said, okay, I'll have mercy on you. Wipe out your debt. It's all gone. He went outside and he saw a fellow servant who owed him a small amount of money. He grabs him by the throat and says, give me that money back. You owe me. And the servant says, I can't. I can't give you that. So he has him thrown in jail. Him and his whole family has him thrown in jail. He says, you'll stay there till you pay back everything that you owe me. The master heard about this. And this is what he said. These are Jesus' words. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. God doesn't take unforgiveness lightly. We know what it's cost him. How could he take it lightly? People have asked me when I've said this before, well, how do we forgive. And I've just put a few points up there. It's not, it's not a complete um, work on forgiveness, but those are a few things to think about. It's not an instant. Usually, you just don't say, okay, I'm making my mind up to forgive that person, end of story, it's done. It doesn't usually work that way. It's a process that you go through, and you need to know how to go through that process. It doesn't mean that you'll necessarily be reconciled 
with that person afterwards. Some people get hung up on, well, if I forgive them, and they'll keep doing the same stuff, and then I have to be in a relationship with them, and I keep getting hurt all the time. Well, it doesn't actually mean that you have to be in a relationship with that person to forgive them. It depends on the situation. Absolutely talk to God about it. And you may need to talk to an appropriate person as well. And I underline appropriate because you can't talk to anybody about it. You have to have the right person, somebody who's not going to say, well, you just do this, this, and this, and that's the end of the story. Somebody who will listen to you and go on that journey with you. An appropriate person. Point three. God's love for us is extravagant. It's not at all mean and I'll just give you this little bit. It's massive. He pours love onto us. It's just an extravagant love. And you know what? He doesn't just do it with words. If I came up to somebody and said, you know what, I really love you, and put my arm around them, and I didn't know about them, and didn't care about them, and didn't journey with them, and didn't do anything for them, would that be love? That's not love, that's just words. Love isn't just words, it's action. But God shows us, not just by his words, but his action, that he really loves us. God came down from heaven, took on the likes of us, walked this hot, even died a death on the cross for us. How extravagant a love is there? What a God. What a Savior. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for us, for our sins. 1 John 4.10 I've got a bit of a confession for you. I used to be a teacher. And because I used to be a teacher, I've got something I want to suggest to you. I'd like to give you some homework. Is that okay? So the homework I'd like to give you is, and it's not for me, it's for your benefit. I'm sure all teachers say that anyway. But I'd like you to read... 1 John 4, verses 7 to 21. 1 John 4, verses 7 to 21. Because that talks about, in a very beautiful, concise way, God's love for us and our love for him. God says... Jesus says, because you are his sons, sorry, Paul says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries, Abba, Father. That's from Galatians 4.6. And this isn't the formal father, oh, father, oh, father, yes, yes, my son, my daughter. This is intimate, it's personal, it's passionate. It's, God, it's how God wants to interact with you and me. The lavishness of God's heart is, we can see a glimpse of that in the prodigal son or the lost son. Do you know what prodigal means, by the way? We used to use that word prodigal. It's now in the latest translation, it says the lost son. 
Probably because most people didn't know what prodigal actually was. Any idea? This is a, this is a pop quiz for you. Quick test. Nobody, nobody going to say that? <laughs> okay, prodigal actually means generous, lavish, liberal, unstinting, unsparing, bountiful, wastefully extravagant. So we say that the prodigal son was prodigal because he squandered his father's money. All his inheritance, he just went. He spent it liberally, bountifully, and wastefully, extravagantly. But, you know, we can also say that's true of the father. Because he was bountiful and extravagant and even wasteful as he ran to meet his son. He ran with open arms and gives him a ring to put on his finger and puts a robe on him. That's how God deals with us. Despite what we do, despite what we've done, he runs to meet us when we turn to go to him. He runs and puts the ring on our finger, puts a robe on us, welcomes us back. And as we go back to the verse in Zephaniah, just wanted to remind you about that verse. First of all, there's 3.15, which says, The Lord has taken away your punishment. Just taken it away on the cross. Go back to the cross. And then if I can just find my verse in Zephaniah again. God loves you so much that he says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take Great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but rejoice over you with singing. My second challenge for you is, in light of God's extravagant love for you and me, what will we hold back from God? We're going to hold back something and say, well, God, you can have all the rest of my life. And we sang about it. He said, have my life, Lord. Are we going to hold back some of it and say, God, just keep out of this area. All of this you can have, but not this little bit. Let me tell you a story. A couple of years ago, my wife and I had the privilege of going to Kenya to see three of our sponsored children. And we picked them specifically because they were in one project and they all were being looked after by grandparents, all three of them. Went to see the first one, home visit, and she had nine grandchildren that she was living with her. You grandies out there, can you imagine having nine grandchildren that you're looking after? Mm, I can't quite figure that myself. But she was doing okay. She wasn't doing great, but she was doing okay. The next one we went to see, she had two or three, two, two grandchildren living with her. Again, she was doing okay. Not great, but okay. We thought, no, that's not too bad. We went to see our third, um, a third sponsored child. His name's Gabriel. And we saw his granddad, Grandpa Julius. And we saw that state of the house. And even by Kenyan standards of poverty, it didn't look great. It looked pretty bad. And then we saw why, because Grandpa Julius was crippled. 
And we didn't know that beforehand. He had polio and he was crippled right over and he could only walk with the help of a stick. He had two other of his own children living in the house with him that he cared for as well. So a grandchild who was about five at the time and two other children, three kids, and he had to provide for them. How did he do that? There's no Centrelink to go to or getting money that way. He worked. He did manual labour. He went out and weeded people's gardens and farms and he could barely walk just with the stick. It broke our hearts. It really broke our hearts. At the end of the, the visit, I said to him, what can we pray for you for? And you can open a real can of worms when you ask somebody living in poverty that. And he said, will you pray that I continue to keep healthy, that I continue to be strong, that I can provide for my family? And if we weren't a mess beforehand, we were then. The spirit in, in, in that man... All he wanted to do was keep on being able to be healthy and work for his family. As we came out of the house, we'd taken a group of sponsors to see their kids. Most of the people were crying. And they came up to us and said, all differently, said, what can we do? What can we do to help this situation? We thought about it, we prayed about it, we worked through the right channels, we didn't just rush in as as Mazungus, Westerners who just think they know better and come and do all this stuff. And we all put in a little bit of money, not a lot. And we said to Grandpa Julius, we wrote a letter and said, this is what we think would be good for you. Get some um, mosquito nets, keep the mosquitoes away so you don't get malaria. Get a bed for Gabriel who was sleeping on a mattress on the floor. And it said, Dirt floor, probably a dung floor, and stuff comes up through dung floors. And we wanted him on a proper bed and get enough food and you know, some basics in life. Sent the money and just waited. And six months later, we got a photo. That's what he'd done with the money. He'd built a new house, mostly himself. With that little bit of money we sent, he built this new house. The canny person that he was, he even sold the old rusty iron sheets on the old house and helped his son to build a much smaller house next to him. So with that little bit of money, two houses came out of it. And we said to God, that's amazing. That's the kind of economy we want to be in. How can we do more of that? It just blows me away. The fact that we can have the opportunity to do things like that. In James, it says, James 2, verses 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? 
Suppose your brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith without action is dead. Perhaps another way of saying it, faith without action isn't really faith at all. Many, many years ago, Graham Mabry's son, Paul Mabry, got up and spoke at Mounties. And this one sentence he spoke, I'll remember, I think, until I die, He said, Jesus did not die on the cross so that I could live a life of comfort. Jesus did not die on the cross so that I could live a life of comfort. And that reminds me, it haunts me, as I look to, oh, what would I like? What new toy would I like? What what frilly, fancy thing? Not frilly for me, but other people. What, what nice thing can... Just because I want to or like it. Jesus didn't die for, for those things. One of the hardest things for us living in the West is that God deposits gold in our lives. He does that all the time. He just gives us blessing upon blessing. Some of that gold is for us, absolutely. We need to live. We, we need to have the, the, the stuff in life that we need to have. But then other parts of that, we need to give away. Because God gives us that. So some will keep and some will give away. And the hardest thing for us is to know how much do we keep and how much do we give away. Jesus did not die on the cross so that I could live a life of comfort. So if you have the means, if you're able to, I'd really encourage you to consider sponsoring a child. Even if you already sponsor a child, perhaps you have room for another one in your heart. Let me just summarise where we've been to, been through this morning. God loves you so much. So much. There are some things that, that you and I do, though, that breaks his heart. And we have to look at those things and see that we avoid those things that, that really hurts God. And thirdly, God's love is extravagant. More than we can actually imagine. And if you want to, a summary of those things... Please come and get this love letter and read it. Take that in. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today we get to understand just a little bit more about just how much you love us, how much you've given us, how much you pour your blessings upon us, Lord. Help us to to be a blessing to others, Father and share with others 
what you've given to us. Help us not to hold on to broken relationships and do whatever we can to, to forgive. Help us to be filled with your spirit and your love this day, Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.